Welcome to the podcast, 20. Going on 50. This is Lawson Campy, your 20-year-old Gen Y. And Rich Campy, your 50-year-old Gen X. This podcast is focused on bridging the multi-generational gap within business. We'll be highlighting business owners, influential leaders, executives, and more in 20. Going on 50. Sam Gaylord is the founder and partner of Gaylord Pop LLC. He practices in the areas of workers' compensation, social security disability, Medicare and set-aside claims, and pension appeals. Mr. Gaylord is certified by the New Jersey Supreme Court as a workers' compensation law attorney and is licensed to practice in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. He received his bachelor's degree from Syracuse University and his Juris Doctor degree from Seton Hall School of Law. In 2002, Sam was named Young Lawyer of the Year for Mercer County and in 2003 received the Young Lawyer of the Year Service to the Bar Award from New Jersey State Bar Association. In January 2004, Mr. Gaylord formed his firm Gaylord & Yuska, later transitioning to Gaylord & Pop. All right, welcome back to another episode of 20 Going on 50. I'm here with Lawson, my buddy, my son, my partner, and also with Sam Gaylord. I'm really an amazing leader, friend, and such a contributor to other people. He really does make a difference in the lives of others. Sam, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, guys. It's an absolute uh, pleasure to be here. I'm uh, thrilled for the invite and uh, looking forward to our chat today. Yes, us too. So Sam is an owner partner with Larry Pop in the Gaylord Pop law firm. And Sam, what do you specialize in overall? And then I'd like to back up from there and talk about how you got started. Sure. So I specialize in disability litigation. So I am representing mostly injured workers in the areas of workers' compensation, social security, disability, and disability pension appeals. Excellent. And your firm overall, it does what? Yeah. Is so as a, as a law firm, that, yeah. we do those three. Yeah, we do those three main areas. We also handle personal injury matters, car accidents, slip and falls, things of that nature. And we do some municipal work for our clients. So. Excellent. And how did you get started in this field? Like what, when did that start for you? It's been some time now. You sure. got a very you know, successful practice and built this. So where'd you get started? How did that happen? Sure. Uh, actually, when I first got started, I was actually doing financial sales for an insurance company. Uh, it was tough going in the early 90s trying to find jobs. And so I went out and got some additional skills and had worked on sales and was actually, you know, starting to make uh, some get some traction in that area. And every now and again, look for a job or something would roll in and and there was an ad to go and interview. And I got a letter saying, hey, would you want to come in for an interview? You know, and at that point, like I said, I was working. And so it was, sure, you know, go in for the law job since I'd gone to law school and had all this debt, figured maybe we should try that. <laughs> and went in for the interview. And one of the first questions was when one of the partners I sat with is, uh, why do you want to do workers' compensation? And it was literally the first time I even knew what I was interviewing for. Immediately, without missing a beat, I said, I want to take the ability to help people in the insurance side, but use my legal prowess to uh, do it on the law side. And uh, this, to me, seems like a great area of law in which to represent you know, people who really need some help. Went through a couple more interviews and had the job, and that was 1995, and have been doing this uh, ever since. 
Um, what do you recommend for a person my age in a 20 or high college, I guess, who's sure. interested in getting, getting into law? Sure. I, well, first of all, I think that, I think that the legal education itself, even if you don't actually practice a day of law, is one of the greatest educations that you can get. It teaches you to think in very systematic and logical ways and um, hones in on the ability to negotiate all kinds of things. And quite frankly, it opens any number of doors that might not be available but for having that law degree. So for somebody who's young, somebody who's interested in it, there are so many different uh, types of laws, so many different kinds of practices that the first thing I would say is definitely don't get hung up on, oh, when I want to do criminal or I want to do matrimonial or whatever, to sort of slowly figure that out. It's not necessary. Certainly, if you're in college, it's not necessarily to have like a pre-law kind of major. I was a double major in history and political science. All walks of life go into law school. But certainly one of the things that I would say is if you have an interest and just, you know, like anything else, it's going to be a lot of hard work. But at the end of the day, to me, after all these years, I love what I do and I can't recommend it enough. That's great. And and so unusual, I think, to have someone that's in a place that they enjoy it so much. And you're great at it. I know you're great at it because we were friends and we spent time together. And, and I know you're you're very well known in your space and, and what you're able to do. And not only have you been able to enjoy something and make a difference in the world and, and make a living out of it, um, but also have grown a business. So help us understand, because I think so many attorneys and, and people get into the, what we call the self-employed model that can be a slave model, right? I mean, we could get captured by it and, and we can't go beyond. So how did you make the transition to building a team? I mean, you have how many staff now and attorneys, as, and it's even a bigger picture as you go forward. So I was with a big firm when I started, and in June of 2003, they made me a partner, and I left that December. So uh, at the time, uh, me and one other guy, uh, I had uh, two children, uh, ages two and four. The large firm actually found out that I was leaving two days before I was due to get a significant bonus. So not only did I get shown the door, but they did not provide me my bonus. That's where I started. And it was me and one other guy and no staff at all. And going through any number of ups and downs over now the better part of, what, 16 years. Uh, this April, uh, well, yeah, this uh, January makes the uh, 03. This is our seven, my 17th year on my own. Now we're a team of the six lawyers and another 14 staff, so 20 people. Um, and it's uh, now we've moved into our new space. We, we own a building. So certainly have gone from just starting and, and now, you know, now having the operation in place and now uh, focusing on how to make it so that I can start working my way out of doing the daily things to now focus on the big picture of the future, all of those good things. So when you were first getting started, I know you said you kind of got kicked out of the company and you know, pushed out, whatever, and then started your own. And what what were some of the big challenges you faced? Well, the very, I mean, for us, the biggest thing was that we had, we had planned knowing that the guy that I went with 
had a certain practice of law where within 30 to 60 days, there would be at least some revenue. He did some criminal work. He did some uh, legal work that was billable. We could get somebody in the door. He could charge a fee and we would at least have some revenue. So, and we knew for my practice, which is all contingency, that it would take nine to 12 months before there was any kind of real steadiness to the stream of income. So one of the biggest challenges was to just make sure that in sort of leaving and departing that we were prepared um, and had enough of a runway to gain traction, which it was, I think the biggest success in the early goings was to make sure that we had at least enough set aside for the house bills, if you will, for six months. And that was the biggest thing because that way we knew that even if not one red cent came in in three months, that we were still okay. And so we eliminated upfront potential home pressure that certainly can, you know, you get enough with the work pressure when you're starting out like that. But to help ease the home pressure, we sort of prepared and planned for that in advance again, with the anticipation of our worst case scenario. When we, I remember we were constantly asking up front, okay, what's the worst case scenario up front and planned as if that would be the scenario that happened so that when it didn't and it was better than that, they were all small wins right along the way. Excellent. I love that. Yeah, plan for the worst scenario and prepare. So it wasn't just, hey, let's just jump. This is going to be great. Uh, like we see can happen so often, and then they <laughs> oh, you know, sure. jump to their death, right, and end up in all kinds of trouble, people. Yeah. So, yeah, planned ahead, looked at it. And, and what would you say, Sam, as you move forward, right, you're hiring your first employee, if you can remember back to then, who was it from a role standpoint, and why did you decide on that role, and what was that like? right? To, to bring sure. someone out. Was it scary? Was it like, oh my gosh, now we got to, what was that like? Yeah. The first employee was a secretary and we hired her probably, I would say about three to four months in. And that was only because with everything else, we needed somebody to type the letters. And actually we started uh, with her part-time. Uh, she would come in in the afternoons and uh, was like, she was finishing college. So it was sort of a work study for her. And she came in and she worked in the afternoons and she was great. She was, a, a, you know, it was hourly. So we didn't have to worry about insurance and we didn't have to worry about any of the things. Now, again, you got to remember, too, we're going back into, you know, this, is, this goes back to even 2000. So we're 2004 and all of the amazing technology and, and avenues for resolutions of those issues are certainly much more available to people in terms of work share or, you know, um, online uh, help, virtual assistance, all of those kinds of things. So back then it was really, we needed somebody in the thing, in the office who could, who could type letters and who could, you know, pump out the, the envelopes and stuff like that. So for us, it was, it was scary to ha need somebody and have somebody, but it wasn't as bad because we didn't have to initially worry about, uh, like I said, health insurance or all of the other things that we weren't yet even offering for ourselves. Uh, but we could have somebody and and uh, somebody who was enthusiastic about being in a new adventure and um, and and it worked out well for a whole bunch of years. 
And are they still with you now, or do you have a new secretary? Yeah, so that particular secretary left several years, about two, three years into the operation. The original partner that I had left with, we had to part ways about three years into our ventures in 07. So the firm itself originally was uh, uh, Gaylord Yuska, and then we brought in another partner, and it was uh, Gaylord Rubenstein Yuska. And then we had to let uh, Mr. Yuska leave. We had to let him go, and then um, Larry joined us. So there was that mass nature. It was, Gary, it was uh, Gaylord Rubenstein Pop. And then uh, in 09, October of 09, Rubenstein left. And since then, it's been Gaylord Pop. Okay. I have one question about just, I guess, law firm names. I feel like every single law firm is partnered up with someone else. Is that just a coincidence that I don't notice that they're somewhere by themselves? Or is it pretty common to have multiple partners in the law, in the law firm? Yeah, great question. So the 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 answer is that the first the first answer is you have to check each state has its own ethics requirements, and some states allow for it could be like the Chartwell Law Office, or you could be the uh, Gaylord and Associates, or any number of things like that. Some states require that the name of whomever is considered a partner of the firm be on the letterhead. So the first thing that you always want to do is check the, the your state for what the rules, the ethics rules require. But in our state, for example, in Jersey, if I wanted, I can have a title, like we could be called the you know, Gaylord and Associates, or we could be called uh, the Gaylord Law Group or something like that. You don't have to necessarily have the name of every partner or all the partners or whomever you want to be considered. Now, at this point for us going forward, even if, let's say, Larry transitions out, one of the things is the firm, because of all of the branding and the marketing that we've done all these years, the name of the law firm won't change. So, and if God forbid something were to happen to myself or to Larry, the you can keep, even if the partner is passed, you can keep the name of the law firm. Again, you just have to notify the ethics uh, committee and the district ethics committee um, as to what's occurred, and, and you just sort of get a letter of it. That sort of satisfies the requirements. Okay, so different right, that makes based sense. on area. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. And and Sam, you've managed through so much change. I mean, and this is part of business, right? I mean, we can sort of control certain parts and we can't control other. How do you navigate through changes? Changes in partners, changes in staff, changes in market conditions. How do you get through change effectively? Yeah, one of the things that for me personally that I have really sort of had a talent for is the ability to really compartmentalize. So in any given situation, as potentially ugly as it may seem as you're going through the day to day, if you really sort of put each piece into its own individual box and just deal with it in that way, then it sort of breaks down the, the larger, let's say, problem or issue and you can really start to focus on those smaller things, which makes the entire problem not seem nearly as bad, especially when you can resolve pieces 
of let's say a box or an issue of the greater whole, then you're sort of solving it as you're walking through. So that's one of the things that I have always found that in large transitions, for example, literally my partner, the other partner, Mr. Rubenstein, myself, had to tell Mr. Yuzga that he was being fired. You know, there's no manual for that. There's no book for that. There's a, a you know a, a hole in your stomach that's as large as you know a, a grapefruit because you're sick to your stomach. It's not something that you want to do. It's not something that you you know you feel comfortable in doing. And nobody tells you, oh, this is the rule book on that kind of thing. You know, enough knowledge and enough understanding that it had to get done. You know, there's that great book with Simon Sinek is that as long as you know what your why is then everything else will take care of itself. If the why is strong enough, then everything else is going to take care of itself. Well, for us, it was the why of this law firm has got to survive. And if he kept doing the things that he was doing, it was now impacting on that survival. So as painful as it was, the why, uh, for me anyways, was certainly greater and the thing that had to get done. Gotcha. So pay attention to the why break it down into some compartments is how you navigate through change effectively. Absolutely. Sam, as you grow your team, um, how do you let go of that control, right? Cause it's like, you know, you're going to do a great job and, and, but then you start growing and you've got a lot of people doing different roles. And I think a lot of, you know, self-employed entrepreneurs never grow beyond themselves because it can be challenging to let go of that control to, move it forward. So how do you let go of the control? Um, has that ever been a challenge for you? And then what do you focus on to help build the team out? Like what would be some of the core components when you go from the self-employed slave model to big business, letting go of the control, how do you manage that? And then what are some of the core components as you start to build? Well, yeah, no, I mean, look, the, one of the biggest things is, you know, my area of practice, one of the, one of the, I'm not going to say it's a downside, but one of the, one of the challenges for my area of practice is that it is a volume practice, which means that in order for me to, let's say, hit X number, I may need to, you know, resolve four cases where for, let's say, a personal injury case, to hit X, you don't even need to solve one case. So it's a struggle because the volume for our caseload is much greater than that of other areas of law. So so that comes with its own challenges. And I'm now at the point where the biggest thing that I'm looking for going forward now is an essence to find the technician that I can hire to put in that particular spot for me so that I don't have to do that every single day. To this day, I still go to court almost every single day. And what that creates then is more, I'm having to be more vigilant in carving out time as I can grab it so that I can focus on the business, not in the business. So one of the biggest successful things that has done or as I've done has been to block out periods of time in the week in advance, because if I don't, my staff attacks it like locust and I all of a sudden wind up with like for today, I have, you know, 10 appointments. So it's like, oh my gosh. So the focus has to be on being proactively carving out time for yourself to do 
things that will allow you to re-energize yourself or it allows you to just simply think and it allows you to focusing on what's next and what do I, you know, where's the direction and sort of the bigger picture, uh, as we've talked about it, the bigger boulders to, to move the business forward. As you think forward um, into the next 10 years, what's changing in the, in the industry, right? In the law industry, I, I, we mentioned earlier around how you can now get staff virtual and you may do shared staff. You made lots of options there. Are you, do you see other shifts as you move forward in the industry that, that will happen? I, I think now um, it's what's, what we're finding is that younger lawyers are more life focused than they are work focused. And I think one of the greatest things or one of the things is that, you know, as a kid, not a kid, as a young man growing up, it, it was always the discussion of life uh, work balance. And I think it's not so much life work balance that each gets 50% or 60, 40 or whatnot, but it's the, to make sure that when you're, let's say, focusing on the life part or you're, you know, at dinner with your kids or you're at a movie or, or doing whatever in your home life or your community life or whatnot, that you're at that space at that time and that's where your focus is because look as entrepreneurs one of the easiest things in the world is i could sit there and be sitting at dinner and in my brain i'm running through accounts receivable and this client called and that and this and that and i am completely not present with let's say my family so yes we're together geographically speaking but am i really present am i really there and that's been for me one of the greatest lessons to learn a but b constantly try and work on is to make sure that even if you're at the my son who's in eighth grade we just had last week his his eighth grade band concert and you know to when i walk in turn my phone off and make sure that i'm present at that event so that i can say you know i really like this song or i really like that and so that he knows that dad was not only physically there, but he was mentally there and we share that experience. So I think that's, to me, that's one of the biggest challenges because I think younger lawyers are much more focused on, well, you know what, it's 530, I'm leaving. And I could tell you that I never, when I was working at the big firm, I never left the office before seven o'clock and I had two little ones. But that was because in my head, as I was brought up, the way in which you do well is you outwork everyone that's around you. And earlier on in my life, and even now, I have had certain abilities that allow me to definitely pump it to a level that there's nobody who's going to outwork me. But that's not necessarily the right way to handle things. It's better to try and find those people who can take portions of my plate away from me be comfortable in that and then turn around and now work on or be part of other situations so that the whole thing, you know, grows organically, but it also grows without my killing myself. <laughs> With the turning uh, off your cell phone, 
So Sam, you mentioned like staying present as being really key. So you turn off your cell phone. Is there other things that you do to stay present? Well, some of the, yeah, I mean, look, Rich, some of the things that you and I have worked on, it's, you know, I get there and I'll close my eyes and I'll just get myself ready for the moment. I listen to Joe Polish and, and Genius Network and I love marketing all the time. And, and some of the things that they talk in terms of, and I'm not talking mediation and, and meditation and all that, because that I, I guess I can try and grow and work towards, but, you know, just like breathing, you know, just sort of like taking a breath, taking a moment. And it's sort of the transition. When I first left, my office was two minutes from the house. And then when we moved way back when, the office was 50 seconds from the house. Well, you go Mach 12 all day and at 6.30, you're leaving the office. And in 50 seconds, you're now, you got to be Mach 12 dad. And that 50 second period was never enough. So one of the things that I would always do is when I would get home, I would always go upstairs, close my bedroom door, and I would literally take my suit off, which in my head was sort of my uniform, my suit of armor, my whatever, and go in my own head from the transition of business lawyer to now, okay, putting on a pair of jeans or sweats or whatever, hanging out with the kids. Now I'm transitioning to dad and then taking a certain number of time and then, you know, coming down and, okay, now I'm ready to, you know, to be at this place. So, so those have been some of the things that I've done over the years to just sort of try and help me. Again, it's just trying to put yourself in the moment so that you're not still dragging around all the things, you know, especially, look, I mean, especially in my world, I mean, how many days, any number of days, I'm a hero to a client and I am a villain to the next client because I didn't do what they wanted me to do that day. So, you know, it's, it's, there are only so many hours in the day. <laughs> mm, yeah, so I have a question about that, touching on hours of the day and you coming home and switching from, you know, business to family and essentially stuff like that. So what, what's your daily routine look like? You know, what time do you wake up and stuff like that? Sure, sure. Uh, well, one of the things that I've tried to work on a little bit anyways has been, I like that book, The Miracle Morning. I think it's, uh, what, Hal Enron. I think I like that. Uh, that that oh, to yeah. try and come up with a routine in the morning before you get going. So I usually will get up around 5 o'clock in the morning. So what I've started to try and do now is just sort of, you know, I get out of bed, go downstairs, and I have a glass of water, and then I, I get the dog, so I'll take the dog out, we'll let her do her thing, and then just sort of spend a few minutes, you know, just, again, sort of thinking about what's going on. One of the things that I've started doing is doing, like, thank you notes in the morning, too. Um, that's actually pretty cool, because, you know, right away, you're already saying thank you, and there's a sense of being or having gratitude right up front and it's easy and but they're handwritten from me to clients for a referral or lawyers to refer somebody or whatever the case it might be so trying to do those kinds of things in the morning every day we'll have court so i will be in the office by 6 30 7 o'clock the latest uh we'll look through what my court schedule is going to be like where do i have to go what am i going to do just try to Again, mentally get ready for what's coming up, and then I'll go to court. And then, depending on the day, I will be in court at least until lunch. Some days till one, two o'clock, 
When that's done, I then come back to the office. I will then see clients probably till about five, six o'clock at night. And then depending on the day, um, we'll either keep doing things at the office or leave, go home, sort of geographically switch gears. And then I usually don't go to bed much before midnight. So long days. Sounds like it. Sounds but there's a lot of hats. Yeah. There's a lot of hats that I wear, not just the office. As a firm, we do a lot of community activities. We do a lot of, you know, we're involved in different charitable things. We're involved. Uh, one of my partners, she's going to be the um, president elect for our local bar association this year. So there will be events that we'll have to do to support her. Uh, any number of marketing things, dinners with doctors or referral sources or, you know, any number of variety that comes down the road. So there's never a lack of a hat that I can put on. And then, of course, my wife and I go through our calendar for the house as to what's going on. Now, the advantage I have now is I have, I have three children, but I only have now one at home. The two oldest have now gone back to college. So so now we fall back into a in, into a routine and um, it's not nearly as crazy as it's been for the last three weeks. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it sounds like it. Exactly. So as we're wrapping up here, Mr. Gaylord, is there anything you want to leave on the table or let anyone know and then some contact information if anyone wants to get a hold of you, have any questions, anything like that? Sure. I mean, listen, I appreciate, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity to come on the podcast and the show with you guys. Uh, it's a pleasure to have met Lawson and certainly to be friends with, uh, with Rich. My biggest thing is that, you know, is, it's easy for me anyways, personally, as, as an entrepreneur, as, a, as an attorney, I am by far the, the worst critic that I have got. Uh, we've talked about some of the successes that I've had, and Rich was very nice to mention that. And the reality is that there's not really a day that goes by where I struggle with being able to give myself permission to feel that something has gotten accomplished. But if you look around, a lot of things have. So I think that for me anyways, personally, has been one of the greatest struggles on my own career is allowing myself the opportunity to say good job, feeling like there's a meaning to it, but but being able to commend myself for the things that we've done. And I think I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. I think a lot of it's easy to beat yourself up. Oh, I didn't get this done. I didn't get that done. Forgetting about the fact that you just did 50 phone call returns, or you you worked on 100 different files, or you know, rather than the positive, it's like, oh, I didn't get to this. I didn't get to that. So I guess for me personally, one of the things that I, I, I struggle with, but I try and work on for myself is making sure that I allow myself the opportunity to say, yeah, you, you really you really are doing a good job and, and it's okay. So, and if anybody wants to connect with me, I'd love to connect with them. The law firm is Gaylord Pop. So it's GaylordPop.com. Um, certainly, Anybody can reach me by way of my email, which is sgaylord at gaylordpop.com, sgaylord at gaylordpop.com, or call the office at 609-771-8611, and uh, love to have a conversation and and connect. Great. Perfect. Thanks, Sam. And and you are doing a great job. Uh, I know our, our listeners are loving it and all the information, and we really appreciate you sharing with such a full schedule to take the time out to. Give back is one of the things I admire so much about you because you're constantly finding ways to help others. And so we really appreciate that and and your commitment to the human race. (laughs) It's really been incredible. So thank you so much for sharing and we look forward to circling around again soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. 
Throughout this episode of 20 Going on 50, we have gathered some key takeaways such as plan for the worst case scenario if you feel it might happen at some point, which it probably will. Pay attention to your why and break it down into compartments to better navigate the change. Don't forget to think forward and look into the future in order to prepare for it. Stay present where you are, not just geographically, but mindfully as well. Have gratitude for things you do in life. And lastly, don't forget to give yourself thanks for things you've accomplished. Thank you guys again for listening to 20 Going on 50. Please feel free to reach out to us with any questions, comments, concerns. And as always, don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and anything else with your friends and family.